0: Last sermon in a series of sermons on the heart and I feel glad about that I'm experiencing some some soul-searching fatigue and uh, if you remember you know the first week we talked about keeping your heart with all vigilance or guarding your heart And that was a very convicting sermon for me. Uh, It was one of those, I don't do that, uh, sermons. And then the next week we talked about trusting the Lord with all your heart, and that also was pretty convicting. And then we talked about forgiving from the heart, and that was bad too. And then (laughs) we talked about words that flow from your heart, and now I've been wrapped up in a bunch of conversations about my words and the power of my words. And so I'm done with this. And uh, no, seriously, the, the, I mean, the truth is that this is the end of a series of sermons on the heart. But we'll be back here next week talking about the heart and the week after that talking about the heart. And so this isn't the end. And so take heart. he's overcome. The world, and we're going to keep trucking, keep trusting uh, Him. <clears throat> the very first week, if you remember, we talked about um, guarding your heart, keeping your heart. Why we should pay attention to the heart, and um, uh, besides it being extremely important to God, He looks on the heart, He cares about who you are, and. Who you are is uh, the very heart. Your, your, your heart is not just your feelings, emotions, and affections. A biblical definition of the heart includes those things, but it's actually your very essence. What makes you you. Your, your, your very core. God cares about what's going on on the inside. But the other reason we care about what's going on in our hearts is that these passages... Um, I'll read three different translations of the same verse. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. The English Standard Version says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. The idea is that your life is a river and that that river flows from the source and the source is the heart. So the idea is that what is upstream flows downstream to reach and impact people. And we know that if there's bitterness, it will flow from your heart to reach and impact others. If there's tremendous peace that you're carrying, it will flow from your heart and have an impact on others. If there's fear, worry, anxiety, these things will flow from your heart. They will reach out and have an impact on people around you for better or for worse so um we're so we're continuing to talk about the heart because god cares about your heart god is searching the earth for hearts that are fully committed to him and he is searching our hearts through the holy spirit but it's, 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 it's not just that God cares about your heart. The truth is, is that what's going on in your heart is reaching out and having an impact on those around you. So it's both vertical with God and it's very horizontal with others. That's why we're talking about the heart. We're also talking about the heart because Jesus was always talking about the heart. He always boiled things down to the heart of the matter. Jesus is a heart kind of guy, and we heart Jesus. We like the things that He likes. So that's why every week we get together and talk about your feelings. I know some of you guys are like, why do we have to talk about this week after week? Um, Today I want to talk about worry and fear. I think it's something that we're all dealing with, and I believe that it's uh, crippling some of us. Um, that it is, in fact, flowing from our hearts, and it is determining the course of life for many of us. So I want to talk about worry um, this morning. Last night, again, this is why I'm experiencing some soul-searching fatigue or, uh, or some preaching fatigue. Last night, driving home from this fundraiser that Tiffany and I were at, she, she asks me, what are you speaking on tomorrow? I'm talking about worry. How do you feel about it? I'm worried about it perfect there's probably something in this for me just like I needed to forgive just like I need to watch my mouth just like I needed to take heart and so um, I'm speaking to myself this morning and I would love it if you would you would listen in I want to go to a really famous passage uh, from Jesus on the topic of worry Matthew 6 uh, verse 25 you can turn there I'll give you some time Matthew's in the New Testament right at the beginning of the New Testament. Your Bible's divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is old. And the New Testament is old. So good luck finding Matthew. (laughs) Towards the back. These words, this sermon from Jesus is old, but it's not irrelevant. It spoke... Um, very directly to where uh, I'm at. Sorry, I'm going to put this thing in order. I forgot to number the pages and it's a mess. So before we get started, I'd like to... Matthew 6... Starting in verse twenty five. Dang it. It's like a puzzle. I feel like I feel the pressure of getting this in order is making it worse. Okay, all right. I like what's happening. All right. Here we go, Matthew six, verse twenty-five. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. I mean, if I can say this, I think you know what I mean. But this is Jesus at his best. I know he was always at his best, but this is Jesus at his Jesusness. It's good. Jesus um, speaking directly to our worry. Uh, some of your translations uh, read anxiety. Um, speaking specifically to what we deal with so so often. And what I want to say uh, to you this morning is that we deal with worry and anxiety by confessing it as sin. Confessing it as sin. Confessing it because it needs to see daylight. Some of you are holding on to things and questions. There are what ifs floating around in there, and you need to get them out there and subject them to the light. You need to let people speak in to the fears and the worry that you're facing. And so I would invite you to confess it, but don't just confess it. A lot of times we have an easy time talking about what's causing us anxiety, what's causing us to worry, and what's causing us fear. I would invite you to confess it as sin. And I have seen, and I'm young, and I don't have a lot of experience, but in my short, limited experience, I've seen something of a shift where we no longer call things sin, we call it an issue. I know, I've got issues. It's no longer a sin that needs to be removed, but it's an issue that we need to learn how to cope with. It's no longer a sin that needs to be taken away. It's a personality trait. It's just the way I am. I'm just fearful. God knit me this way. So don't just talk about it. Don't just confess it. Don't just air it. Confess it as sin. The command here this is a command do not worry. Do not worry. Can I remind you of the other do nots we were given? The other thou shalt nots. The ones that we take seriously because we don't take this seriously. You're justified in your worry. Certainly, Jesus wouldn't expect us not to worry. Certainly, he doesn't mean what he says. I fear, I am worried that Jesus is dead serious when he says, do not worry that we're to take this command just like we take the other commands. Like, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. This is a command. Do not worry. You can't be a Christ follower and be racked with anxiety or worry. Don't do it. We don't see it as serious. We don't see it as sin. But we know scientifically that it is shortening your life. And even the life that you do live, your abbreviated life, is being robbed with joy by worry and anxiety. Jesus is dead serious when he says, Do not worry. I was thinking about this. I, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, if we were to go to lunch tomorrow morning, or if we were to go to breakfast tomorrow morning which we wouldn't because tomorrow's a day off, but if we went on Tuesday to get some breakfast and, and you sat down with me and you I mean, hey, I'm so glad I got to spend some time with my pastor. Um, I just, I just want to confess some things to you. You know, I just, I, just, I murdered someone, you know, yesterday. And uh, I murdered him and felt so guilty. You know, I, I would be trying... Um, Not to freak out. You know, I would be trying to believe that Jesus' blood was enough for you. Even if you had shed blood, it would be shocking to hear those words from you. If you violated any of the other commands or any of the other do-nots, I would be trying to hold myself together as you shared that with me. But it's common to get together with someone over breakfast and have them say, you know, I'm, I'm so anxious, I'm so worried. And I'll think to myself, well, you should be. I'm worried for you. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. I can see how you're worried. Do you treat it this seriously, like it is in fact a command? As serious as all the other thou shalt nots that are etched in stone. Do you see it as sin, and do you uh, confess it? I am uh, shocked um, by how Jesus deals with people who are dealing with fear. It's usually with a rebuke. And I, a part of me is thinking, well, I think they're justified. Their ship is sinking, bro. It's taking on water. They're going to die. And he gets up and he rebukes them. And I'm totally intrigued by this passage in particular, where Jesus doesn't coddle those dealing with fear. He doesn't caress or pet. He comes with a club. And he's like, what are you doing? It's pointless. Who can add anything to their life through worry? Who can add anything to the situation by being anxious? It's totally pointless, and it's pagan. You're acting like you don't have a father. And I don't know about you, but that's not how I respond to people who are dealing with anxiety and fear and worry. I think the, the situation's pretty shallow, pretty fragile, and so I think to myself, the best approach to this would be to come and caress. Oh, I can see why you're so racked with fear. It makes total sense. And I'm worried that Jesus would have stepped in and said something completely different, which was, this is pointless. He doesn't even give us spiritual reasons to not worry. This is totally practical. If you're here and you don't even believe in Jesus, hear this. This isn't a spiritual reason not to worry. It's a totally practical reason not to worry. Pointless. You're wasting time. And then he moves to the spiritual after he addresses the practical, and he says pagan you're acting like those who don't have a father in heaven you're acting not like children of the most high god but you're acting like pagans those who don't know jesus those who don't know and follow god you're acting like them and i would say to you jesus is coming with a club for your worry and anxiety He's not, he doesn't understand it. He's not caressing it. He's not coddling you. He's coming with hard words. And the reason he's coming with hard words is because he cares about you. And he is not going to coddle the thing that's killing you. He's not going to caress the thing that's stealing your joy and stealing your strength. He's going to deal seriously with it, and you should deal seriously with it. It's a do not. It's a command. What a cool thing. Like, I know that some some of you think, well, I don't want to become a Christian because it's just full of rules. Well, here's one of the rules. You're not allowed to worry. That's one of them. Don't do it. You can't follow Jesus and keep doing this. And he doesn't come to tell you it's okay and to baby you. He comes with a club to deal harshly with the thing that's killing you and robbing you. Jesus is constantly encountering people as we read the accounts of his life. And saying to them, do not fear. Fear not. I think the reason that it is so serious to Jesus. The reason he takes worry and anxiety seriously. Is because it doesn't just have to do with your circumstances. It's a reflection in some way of his character. He takes it very personally When we're living in anxiety and because your anxiety is not just the result of the situations you're in it's an accusation of his character and he takes it that way fear you know is all about questions it's all about uncertainty it's all about not knowing it's all about being crippled by the question that we're living in and you end up owned by a question the question being what if? What if? What if God's not who He says He is? What if God's not good? What if, he makes, what if He doesn't make no mistakes? What if He's not who I thought He was? What if He is who I thought He was? Some of you are scared of that. <laughs> what if He is actually going to say something to me? What if something happens to my kids what if something happens to my health what if my spouse leaves me what if the new treatment doesn't work fear is all about a question but what quickly follows the question is an accusation have you ever come aco- come across a question that is not a question it's a statement and then behind that statement is an accusation Some of you guys experienced this this morning when you left the house and your wife said to you, are you going to wear that? Are you going to wear that is not a question. Are you going to wear that is a statement. And behind that statement is an accusation that you have poor taste (laughs) and you don't know what's up and you shouldn't be let out into public. (laughs) Another question that is not a question, it's a statement. And behind it, there's something behind the question. Are you going to eat that? Is not a question. That's a statement. Can I have the rest of that? We've just masked statements in questions to be polite. And I think Jesus knows because He's always getting to the heart of matters. He's always bringing it back to the heart. And so He knows that it's not just a question. That behind that question is a statement. And that there's something of an accusation behind The question, is He holy? Is He good? Is He dad? If He's a dad, what kind of dad is He? Your worry is saying something about Him. That's why He wants to deal with it. Your worry is saying something about Him. I'm going to invite you into an idea that what you feel is just thoughts trapped in your body. That your feelings are thoughts trapped in your body, that there's actually something behind or motivating the feelings that you're having. If that's true, and the anxiety, worry, and fear that you feel is just thoughts trapped in your body, what is worry saying? And who is it saying to? I want to show you um, this uh, in a very familiar story about Jesus and His disciples getting caught in a storm. Don't turn there. Stay in Matthew 6. Um, But I want you to see the connection between our questions and our accusations. When evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took Him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he rose and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then He turned, and He rebuked His disciples, and He said to them, why are you so fearful? I don't know. Maybe because our ship is sinking. Maybe because we're taking on water. Maybe because we're going to drown while you sleep. Our eyes are wide with panic, and your eyes are shut in sleep. Maybe that's why we're fearful. Full-on rebukes them. How is it that you have no faith? How is it, after walking with me, that you have no faith? Again, this is. I would read this story and think to myself, if people asked me that, I'd say, well, I can understand. I mean, it's crazy out there. I'd be worried too. That's not what he says. And it not what he says to people who are bound in fear. Again, it's not because he doesn't care about you. He cares deeply about you. That's why he's going to club the thing that's killing you. You don't need to be babied. And they feared exceedingly. This is awesome. The answer to their fear was a greater fear. Well, we were scared. Now we're really scared because this guy's bossing things around and calling shots man hey the answer to your fear is to get a greater fear it's not no fear i don't care what your shirt or sticker says the answer to your fear is not the absence of fear it's just simply a greater fear that's what jesus said oh you fear these people and all they can do is kill you it's like yeah totally I would fear the one who de- can destroy both the body and the soul. Whoa. The answer to your fear is to get a greater fear. I've experienced this a few times in my life. I don't, for whatever reason, every time I walk out onto a pier with my family, the, the ocean just scares me to death. I, I, I hate it. It's, It's awesome it's it's terrible the ocean is so vast and mysterious it's just I don't like it yeah powerful it just there's something about the ocean that's just kind of like hey respect me and I'll walk out on the pier and I'll think to myself like what if Avery fell off does anyone have irrational thoughts when you're in fear so What if one of my kids fell off? And I'm I'm like planning my approach. Well, I'm going to dive off the pier this way, make sure not to land on her and and then swim her to shore. It's going to be cold, but I'm going to make it because I'm going to be all jacked up on adrenaline. I'm like making this approach, you know, because the truth is, is that I have a fear of the ocean. I have a fear of heights, but I have a greater fear of losing Avery. And I would face those fears. I would take them on. So the answer to your fears is not just no fear. The answer to your fears is a greater fear. They feared Him exceedingly. I want you to notice a few things in this passage. The first thing, Jesus gets in a boat, His followers go with Him, right? And then the very next sentence is that a great storm arose on the lake. You would think that there would be a better second sentence than that. They get in the boat with Jesus, they sail out, they cast the nets, and they just slay the trout you know and and then they bring it in, and they just watch a sunset, and they sing some worship songs on that boat and and Jesus says some really Jesus says all kinds of pithy things to them, you know as they you know, sings them to sleep that night It's like we would want a better sentence than that, but you need to understand just because because right now you're in something of a storm that you're right where Jesus would have you. That you got on the boat with him, you boarded the ship, you set sail, and now you're facing you're facing something of a storm. For those of you getting baptized next week, you need to know that you're going to get on this boat, set sail with Captain Jesus, and you might face some storms. And those storms are put in place to refine your faith. Know that. I also want you to see how fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. Your worry, you might not think it's saying anything, it will corrode your confidence in God's goodness. These guys wake Jesus up and they do not ask him, Jesus, can you calm the storm? We've seen you exercise authority over all kinds of things. Can you do this too? They don't wake him up and they ask him, like, you know, are you Jesus aware of the situation we're in? You are asleep and we're sinking. And so I just want to make sure just check in with you. Are you aware of what's going on here, Jesus? Hey Jesus, do you have any experience with storms like this? Because this we're all freaked the heck out. Do you have any input for us? You know, they don't ask those questions. They get up And they immediately question His character. You don't even care. You don't care. Our eyes are wide with panic and your your eyes are shut with sleep. You don't even care. There is a close connection between your questions and an accusation. And if you followed your questions backwards, you'd find an accusation. That's why Jesus takes your worry and anxiety personally. It'll corrode confidence in the goodness of God. It'll unleash a swarm of doubt. The other thing that happens with anxiety and fear is that it deadens our recall. Dulls your miracle memory. That's why Jesus gets up with these guys and says, how is it? How is it after doing all of these things? To this point, the disciples have seen him cleanse a leper heal many people of sickness, cast demons out, and then on top of it, Jesus says, we're going to the other side. That's what I'm saying. That's what I said. I meant what I said. And then He gets up and He says, how is it that you can't remember these things? Fear and anxiety will cause you to do irrational things because it will stop your recall. It will dull your miracle memory." you won't be able to remember the many times that God has bailed you out the many miracles that he has done the many times that he has come through you're going to be living in a future conversation about what if what if i'm left for dead that conversation between the disciples and Jesus i just love because here are these like accusations flying back and forth the disciples are like you don't even care you're asleep you're indifferent Some of you dealing with fear and anxiety, this is the accusation behind your fear and anxiety. God doesn't care. If he did, he would do something. And this is the disciples. Jesus doesn't care because if he did, he would do something. He wouldn't be sound asleep. He'd be helping us get out of this mess. And then Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind and sea, and then rebukes them. How is it? How is it? After all this time that we're still dealing with this, come on now, come on. So how do we do it? That is, live worry-free or live the Christian life or take this command seriously that we shouldn't worry. I would assert that Jesus meant what He said and therefore thinks that we can live a life free from worry. I know it's shocking and you may need some time to pray through that. Um, I think we can live a life Uh, free from worry. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have commanded us to do it. I believe that you can forgive those. I believe that you can love your enemies. Otherwise, I don't think He would have said it. I don't think He's just teasing us. So, I know that for those of you who've wrestled with fear and anxiety and worry, it's been a long battle. And so I want to stay away from cheesy things like don't worry, be happy, be happy, that that's the answer to what you're facing. But I do see two things in this passage in in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to point them out to you. I I genuinely believe, again, in a very limited um, experience, that the people who live worry-free lives have set their priorities. I get that from verse 33 that says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That the people that I see that seem to be living worry-free are the people that have set their priorities. They're saying this is what matters, and these are the things that don't matter. They're saying this is in, this is what I'm about, and this is out. This is what I'm not about. You guys know that worry can reveal what you worship. Worry can reveal... That there are things competing for top spot in your life. Worry can reveal that there are things that you're looking to for salvation. Worry can reveal that there are things that you're looking to for identity. Worry can reveal that you're looking to things to bail you out. Worry can reveal that you're looking to things to satisfy you. Worry will show us what we worship. Worry will show us the things contending for top spot. And Jesus is saying, You set your priorities and you'll live without worry. There's, there's a, If you look at the context of this uh, passage in, in, in Matthew, which we started reading in Matthew 6.25. But Matthew 6.25 starts with a therefore, and the idea when you read a therefore is that you would read the whole context because what Jesus is about to say is there for a reason, or He's saying it because He said something prior to it. So back up with me and read Matthew 6.24 as you think about setting your priorities. This is why Jesus goes on the rant that we just read. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, don't worry. So what he does is he sets this up and he says, look, there's things. There's gods that are competing in your life. There's idols. And you can look to money for identity. And you can... Look to money for status. And you can look to money for salvation. And you can look to money for security. Or you can look to God for your identity. You can look to God for security. You can look to God for salvation. But you can't look to both these things for salvation. And then Jesus just assumes that people would choose God. And then He says, Therefore, having chosen God first... Having put God first in your life, don't worry. If you put money first in your life, you'll be racked with anxiety. If you put status first, you'll be racked with anxiety. If you put your family first, you'll be racked with anxiety. You put your job first and you will be overwhelmed. You will not overcome. You'll be overwhelmed. The only way to overcome what you're feeling is to put Christ first and to focus on Him. That's how... We overcome. You're not going to overcome by staring at the people around you and the problems around you. We overcome by pursuing Him and putting Him first. People who live worry-free lives, says Jesus, have their priorities set straight. Worry will reveal that your priorities are not set straight. This morning, worried about my sermon. Why? Because I have put the kingdom first. And I'm trusting God to add these things to me. No, because I'm seeking approval more than I'm seeking His kingdom. And so I stand up here with anxiety because what I want is to be satisfied by something besides the kingdom of heaven. That's where it stems from. You seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, His right standing. Stop trying to stand rightly on your own. And you'll live a worry-free life life the other thing that i see here is that people who live worry-free lives have perspective that is that they don't miss the small things there's a lot going on for this audience who's listening to jesus namely hundreds of years of oppression and then jesus flies in Starts preaching, and he's like, consider the birds, you know? It's like, we got bigger problems than the birds, man, and the lilies. Think about lilies, you know? For those of you racked with anxiety, think about lilies, you know? They'll all go away. Lilies. Nature. Nature. I think Jesus is saying something here, though. I think he's saying that people who live worry-free lives have perspective. And the two places that I believe that we're to go for some perspective when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel full of anxiety, are creation and the cross. Creation and the cross, for me, are these forever post-it notes. And you know what post-it notes are about. You write a post-it note so you don't forget about the important thing that you're supposed to do. Or you keep the post-it note from someone who who wrote something meaningful to you that reminds you of how they feel about you or what they think about you. So we're always posting notes. And these notes are meant to be reminders. Don't forget this. Don't forget your vitamins. Don't forget birth control. You've got five kids. I don't know what that's like. Don't forget um, whatever. Don't forget it. It's it's a reminder. And creation is this sort of forever post-it note. This forever post-it note that reminds us to keep perspective. People who are in a place of worry and anxiety are missing the small things because there's some really big things going on in their lives. And Jesus is saying, essentially, look at the small stuff. Remember creation. Think about creation. And here's two things that creation constantly say to us. When I look at creation, when I stop in my anxiety and in my worry, and I remember that the God who spoke those mountains into existence intends to speak here today. I realize that the things that are over my head are under his feet. When you stop and look up at the universe, your view of God grows. And when your view of God increases, your worry and anxiety decreases. I would say those of us who are racked with anxiety are also racked with a small view of God. And Jesus is saying, Look at creation. Remember creation. Think about creation. Let your view of God grow so that you can realize and come to the place again where you see that the stuff that's over your head, the stuff that's beyond you, is simply under His feet. That He's capable. That He's able. Remember these things when you look at creation. The other thing we see when we look at creation is design. It's unbelievable the way things have been designed. Sometimes I just cut an orange in half and I just stare at the design of it. So much attention to detail, so much to the design, which again reminds us that if there's such intricate design, then we have a designer, which is something that you need to know when you're in the middle of a storm. Because it feels like chaos. It feels like He's distant. He's certainly not speaking to you. And you think, has He left us? And the thing that we see when we look at creation is that we have a designer. That He is intimately involved in the details. That He's not left us, but He's with us. Listen to this out of Psalm 19. It says this in regards to perspective and what creation provides us with. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of The world. When we look at creation, we get a glimpse of His character. And sometimes when we're focused on our circumstances, we lose sight of His character. So Jesus is saying, shift your attention to creation and understand my character. That what's above your head is beneath my feet and I'm intricately involved in the design of what you see. Remember this when you're in a place of anxiety. If you're going to soak in something and overcome what's overwhelming you. Stare at creation. Take time. Don't be overwhelmed. But take time to look at creation. You get perspective. For since the creation of the world, Romans one twenty says, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. So that people are without an excuse. So the next time we see the sunrise, we stop. You know, I know you're on the way to work because you got to get there early, because you got to get a lot done, and you're overwhelmed with what you've got to do. But as you drive to work, you stop all that sound. You stop all that mess. And you stare at a rising sun, and you tell yourself, God is faithful. 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 He's faithful. Creation is... One of God's amazing reminders that He's bigger than you and He's bigger than your circumstances and He's bigger than the situation that you're facing. The cross is also a constant reminder of who God is, His character, and how He works as well. The cross is it. The cross is not our milk and then we move on to meat. No, no, no. I've heard about the cross. We talked about that. I I got saved and I believed. No, we're talking about right now, applying what you said you believed to your current situation. So I think in some ways, it's easy to believe Jesus for the big things, like, yeah, I received that, and and I believe Him for heaven, and I believe Him uh, to have paid and atoned for my sin. I believe Him for these things. That's no problem, Trav, but I'm struggling to believe Him till the end of the month. We're talking about applying what you say you believe to the situations that you're in right now. This is not milk and then we move on to meat. Paul said, I've got one message. I've got one message and that's Christ crucified. There's nothing else. There's not, well, tell us about the deeper stuff. What about the, the greater revelation? There is no greater revelation of God than the cross. There's nothing more than that. I've got one message, Christ crucified. I've got one message, the cross And we know we've read Paul's books. He's got a lot of other things to say. Things that are super confusing. I got one message. This is not milk and then you move on to meat. This is it. This is the meat of our faith. It's the cross. And this symbol represents so much for us. Not just, we don't just apply this to our eternal security or a destination, but we apply this to our anxiety and fear. Let me tell you what the cross says. The, the sermon that the cross preaches. The way the cross gives us perspective when we're in a time of suffering and trial. At the cross, a God who seems unfair is actually executing righteousness and justice. Jesus is screaming from the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, a God who seems unfair is actually executing righteousness and justice. We all, when we start facing trouble, start asking the question, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? At the cross, the worst thing happened to the best person. That's what took place at the cross and yet we know that in that in that in in what seemed to be unfair god was executing righteousness and justice at the cross when we come to the place of the cross we see that what brought massive disappointment worked out for our deliverance everyone who's following jesus up to this point is thinking he's the guy We're going to win. We're going to win one. Then he gets crucified. It's over. Guys are going back to their jobs. What was massively... Disappointing works out for our deliverance. And some of you that are wrapped up in worry and fear and anxiety need to know that what what is causing disappointment right now will work out for your deliverance. You also need to know right now, you need to understand the cross and understand that when a God seems unfair, he can be executing righteousness and justice. We know that on the other side of the cross, we're fortunate to live on the other side of the cross. Those that were walking with Jesus thought it's all over. At the cross, a God who is conquered becomes victorious through death. I mean, what in the world? I know what I'll do. I'll die. The God who is conquered, the God who is crushed, the God who seems to lose is victorious over death. At the cross, you see that a God... You see a God who is silent, but still present, and the silence is on purpose. That's what you see when you come to the cross. God seems silent, yet He's present, and His silence has a purpose. Those of you racked with anxiety, right, need to know that a God who seems silent is present with you, and His silence is on purpose. We know that. We get that perspective from the cross, At the cross, a God who seems absent is sovereign and involved. A God-forsaken day becomes a day that we will celebrate for eternity. Surely God is not a part of this. Surely this was not God's plan. And we will continue to celebrate the cross for ages to come. We're getting together next Sunday to celebrate the work of Jesus. A God forsaken day. At the cross, you see a God who's sovereign over what's incredibly confusing. So here's the idea. Worship team, would you guys come? Because of the perspective we get from creation because of the perspective that we get from the cross we do what first peter 5 tells us to do and we cast our cares on him we cast our worries on him we cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us we don't cast it on him just because he can deal with it we cast it on him because he cares for us and i know that when we hear this word cast we think about fishing and the way we fish today is you cast it out there and then you slowly reel it back in and then you cast it out again and you reel it back in and that's how anxiety and fears have been for you you'll get some distance send it out then slowly over time you'll reel it back in this understanding of fishing would have meant nothing to a first century follower of jesus Their idea of fishing had nothing to do with casting and rods and reeling things in. They threw nets with sinkers and they left them and sailed on. And the invitation to us is not to cast it in this way and then spend our week reeling it back in, but to cast our nets from the ship and sail on. And I've been praying for a specific grace for us. Because I know some of you, it's been years of distance, sending it out and then slowly reeling it back in. I understand why you continue to reel it back in. But I'm praying for a grace that Jesus would kill the thing that's killing us, that He would club the thing that's killing us, that we would no longer reel it back in, but that we'd be able to cast our anxieties on Him, throw it overboard, attach the sinkers, send it down, and sail on, and believe it in faith. As the worship team leads us in worship, I would like to stand. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us for a gift of faith because I know some of you have sent this stuff out and reeled it back in for years. I pray for faith that we could trust Him. It says something about Him. Your questions are not just questions. Jesus, I pray that You give us a gift of fresh faith. You are always rebuking those who are worried and in fear and saying, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. I pray that you would give us right now, having heard from your word, the gift of faith. I pray for power right now to come on this church that we could not cast it and reel it back in, but we could cast it, send it to the bottom and sail on. God, give us power. I'm believing you, Lord that preaching from this day forward in my life will not be filled with anxiety and worry, but that you'll deliver me. That what has led to disappointment will turn out for my deliverance. I'm believing that. I'm stepping forward in that. I pray for those who constantly are dealing with anxiety surrounding people and problems and situations. I pray for faith to come into their hearts that they would know that I'm leaving here today differently. I will never pick this up in the same way. I pray for faith to grow in our hearts. Come and set us free. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light... And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We look to you, Jesus. Help us to overcome. We're overwhelmed. Help us to overcome. Amen. Hey, we'd love to pray for you if um, you would like some prayer um, for fear, worry, and anxiety. We'd love to pray with you. There'll be some people up front that would love to stand with you and agree with God over your life. For the rest of you, we'll see you Friday, and then we'll especially see you Sunday. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvisalia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life. I.